your week just got better. Congratulations, you're listening to the Oklahoma Today podcast. This week, Carly Ibarra visited the Yuchi Butterfly Farm near Leonard to talk about the amazing progress they're making in repopulating pollinator stalks. Which brings us to our question of the week. We asked you, if you were a species of butterfly, what kinds of flowers would attract you? First up this week, Editor-in-Chief Nathan Gunner. Well, girlfriend, I'd be a rambling red rose. Um, no, I don't know. I think um, since I have a tattoo of a, of a Oklahoma State wildflower, which I suddenly can't remember the name of, not the Indian paintbrush, the Indian blanket, mm-hmm. uh, I think probably an Indian blanket. I love them. Indian blanket. That's not a great answer, but it's mine. That's <laughs> no, fine. Yeah. Uh, managing editor Carly Ibarra. I would like to say I spent a long time researching this yesterday, um, but I decided that I would be attracted to bread and butter cups, uh. <laughs> milk and cookies weed, um, and honeysuckle. The last one's not a pun. I just really like honeysuckle, so I'm sure I would like it if I were Honeysuckle's play. delightful. Photo <laughs> editor Megan Rossman. Um, well, I didn't, I didn't quite get the question, I guess, and I... <laughs> I was. I said I would eat Korean barbecue. I would be. Uh, you know what? A butterfly that would. If only Korean barbecue grew on flowers. I, it's, well, no, there would be no flowers. I would just. I would fly into restaurants and people. <laughs> people would know what was up. I'd be like, here comes the Korean You'd barbecue be the most butterfly. Boss butterfly ever. That's cool. I'd just be flying around be, eating ribs. You'd be huge because you would be eating so much protein. No, yeah. exactly. Yeah. It would be the, this world's swollest butterfly. <laughs> <laughs> I, I also really was hungry for Korean barbecue when I was looking at the questions. Okay. So I was like, I'm going to find a way to work it in here. All the pieces are coming together. <laughs> Research editor Ben Lucian. I would have to say the cauliflower, but uh, only uh, only if covered in uh, buffalo sauce. Nice. <laughs> That's so good eating. So you'd be a vegan butterfly then. Yeah. You'd be a vegan. Seriously. Why, aren't all butterflies? I don't know. I think so. <laughs> I don't think there's any. I don't believe there are no, any predatory no, I, butterflies. I, I think there are some butterflies that will feed off of blood. Well, those I are really my new favorites. Oh, oh no! I, yeah, I was thinking of them too. This got so creepy so <laughs> fast. Bump facts. I think there's some butterflies that eat uh, Korean barbecue. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. What about you, Greg? Uh, well, um, I, I guess corn, I guess, I guess I would, I would, uh, help (laughs) pollinate corn. I love grits. Okay. Uh, I, I was thinking about it and it's like corn goes into so many things that it's in the feed for the cows that I like to eat. It's definitely in grits. It goes into all of my favorite sodas. I mean, it's, you know, yeah, I, I do corn. I, I gotta say, guys, this was, um, this This was a weird question. It was was a weird question. It was. And I'm happy with that. Although the people on Facebook were not. Gotta know what they said. They, gotta know what they no, said. No, it was too esoteric for Facebook. Nobody answered on there. We only got Instagram, where people are a little more like, ooh, yeah, butterflies. Yeah. So uh, Tr- Tiffany Schilling said, real hibiscus, fake chocolate peanut butter cup. Which I'm like, all right, that's there you good. go. Yeah, that's uh, good. Shelly Scoville said daisies, and Michelle Cheney said alliums. Can I say a real quick thank you to yeah. Shelly Scoville for can. always answering every question I know, ask? I know. It's, I love that. Uh, that's so cool. I do. We have, Shelly, we have if you're listening, people. we love you. We have a few people who, yeah. are, who are really into reader. it. We always love to hear from yeah. them. Uh, and then, yeah, Michelle Cheney said alliums, which is like garlic, onions, oh, yeah. uh, things like that, which, again, totally down Delicious. with, I understand. And, you yeah. will repel the vampire butterflies. There, <laughs> there you go. Exactly. There you go. Exactly. Yeah. All right, now let's hear Carly's interview with the folks at Yuchi Butterfly Farm. Okay, this is Carly. 
Carly here, and we are with Jane Breckenridge and David Bolkin at uh, the UT Butterfly Farm, and you can actually read all about UT in our March-April issue, but I just had so much fun last time that I wanted to come back and talk to you guys again, so thank you so much for having me. Good to have you. <laughs> so um, can you tell me a little bit about, for the people who have not read the story, which you should if you haven't, but um, tell me a little bit about UT and what you guys do here. Okay, so we are a real working butterfly farm, and yes, that is a real thing. Um, it's, uh, so we are, some people raise uh, all different kinds of livestock. Uh, we're just fortunate because the livestock we raise are butterflies. Um, we are licensed by the USDA, and uh, we, we raise butterflies commercially, then are sold to zoos, institutions, exhibits, releases, um, all sorts of different things. Um, and that's one part of what we do, but the farm is also home to something we call the Natives Raising Natives Project that we launched back in 2013 that uses butterfly farming to accomplish three goals. Uh, we, first of all, use it to provide sustainable employment for our Muscogee Creek people. We have a program where we train um, Native American farmers to raise these butterflies on their own land, uh, to promote, particularly in the more remote parts of the Muscogee Nation Reservation uh, employment opportunities. The second thing is to use that butterfly farming to provide a hands-on science education opportunity for these youth, particularly Native youth, um, who are really underrepresented in the STEM fields. And then the third component of the program is to try and raise awareness of the need to conserve, protect, and restore the habitats and ecosystems that support these threatened species of native butterflies. So um, for us, butterflies that we raise in the program can go out and be ambassadors to show people what we're at risk of losing if, if we don't do a better job of taking care of the environments that support these native butterflies. Mm -hmm. So I think a lot of people probably know about um, monarchs. They right? know about the problem with monarchs, but it's not just monarchs that are that are threatened. So what are some of the other species that you guys work with? Right. We work a lot with bees, a lot mm -hmm. with native bees and other pollinators. And I think they're really overlooked, especially in areas where people are not out there looking for them. And what we have to realize is that there are hundreds of species in Oklahoma that are at risk right now. Um, with the situation with the drought that we've had since 2012 and other natural disturbances, um, Things are in trouble. They need our help. And we can help them. It's very much a situation we can win. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so is that what um, the Tribal Alliance for Pollinators right. primarily is? Right. And so um, so we are the home base for the Tribal Alliance for Pollinators and also Tribal Environmental Action for Monarchs. We do have a 501c3 nonprofit that is based here at the farm that supports all of our uh, conservation and education work. Uh, those that nonprofit is the home for Tribal Alliance for Pollinators and Tribal Environmental Action for Monarchs. Those organizations, well, specifically Tribal uh, Alliance for Pollinators, works with tribes and tribal members, not just in Oklahoma, but throughout the country, to help restore native plants back to their landscapes. Um, specifically, as David said, not just to help the butterflies, although we're all about that, but to help those overlooked species of pollinators, um, such as particularly our native bees that we're really passionate about helping. Uh, so 80% uh, of the plants on um, Earth, terrestrial Earth, require the assistance of a pollinator to continue to exist. Um, and 30% of all of our agricultural crops require a pollinator. 
these, uh, these insects, these pollinators, birds, all of our different pollinators are at such risk, and it's a risk not only to themselves and their own populations, but to us, literally, in these ecosystems. And they're so complex and fragile, and as we lose links in the chain, those ecosystems collapse, and once we lose them, they're never gonna come back. So um, this is primarily a habitat issue, and so we try and uh, you know remove the barriers to the restoration work. So, for instance, at Tribal Lines for Pollinators, we have a native plant seed bank, we have a lending library of equipment, we have training workshops, all of those things. We go out and provide on-site technical assistance to tribes that are trying to do this work. So uh, we're, we're really proud of it that and we've we been also, able to do it. We facilitate, like we touched on, we, we have these meetings, we have these workshops. We bring in the world's greatest experts in their fields, habitat restoration, pollination, and we bring them here to this farm and we invite tribal leaders to come, and they do, and we talk about these things and we bring people together who normally would not come together mm -hmm. and if we can get people to understand actually just see what's out their back door that's the first step to saving it mm -hmm. and we're at a critical crossroads right now we um, we may not have this opportunity again and in 20 years it may be lost mm -hmm. so it's very important that we do it now mm -hmm. so and it seems like you guys have found some wonderful partners in the various tribes oh we have we have and we've worked with um, so Oklahoma has th 39 federally recognized tribes. I think we've worked with all but one of them. Oh, wow. um, yeah, and so and even um, to date uh, we've, I think it's it's still at, I think it's 62 tribes we've worked out uh, who've engaged in our programming. So uh, we've just started a new partnership with the 11 federally recognized tribes of Minnesota and we had them down here last month um, learning how to restore monarch habitat and pollinator habitat in their region. Um, tribes, they've got the land base. There's a strong cultural commitment towards uh, you know, uh, just this deeply held belief about the sacredness of the land and our duties to restore and protect it. But what they don't always have uh, is the technical resources, just how to do it. It's a pretty narrow thing, how to restore native plants back to your land. So we do that and we provide it at no cost. And as David uh, mentioned, we can bring in really top-notch experts that otherwise might not be engaging, particularly with some of the smaller tribes. Uh, you know, if you're one of those, you know, the smaller tribes in Oklahoma, um, man, the world's greatest expert on native bees may not come, you know, over to you and your part of rural Oklahoma, but you can come here to the farm to this uh, kind of neutral space and everybody can engage and share that information. And there's so much work that needs to be done here in Oklahoma to restore our habitat. Um, we Oklahomans love their land, but over time, you know, uh, we just haven't always had access to some of the practices that we need to keep that soil healthy and keep those native plants there. So um, we all need to do our part to do this. We're at, as he said, we're at a critical turning point. And it's really cool to me to see the tribes are really stepping up to play a large role in this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And in Oklahoma, we know firsthand what kind of disasters can come from yes. not taking care of the... Yes. I mean, you know, every, in everybody's mind, a lot of people, you know, we're synonymous. synonymous I can't say that word. Anyway, they, they when they think us, they think we're still living in the Dust Bowl. Mm -hmm. And, you know, um, particularly it's like up in Minnesota, they're like, oh, you have you have trees there? <laughs> so, okay. We have had people actually say that. You have trees and you have cars? You don't just ride <laughs> no. in Buffalo to work? 
Brooklyn. <laughs> yep. So um, anyway, so it's it's kind of fun. But, but the tribes, the tribes have really yeah. been the leaders in restoration, mm -hmm. and they've really been the leaders in a lot of the environmental efforts on the ground, helping with people. And we work with so many tribes where they've taken the, the executive offices of the tribe. Everyone gets a day off to go help with a restoration. Mm -hmm. Everyone gets a day off to come help plant plants, and that's a wonderful thing. Um, now that's not always feasible for like the state or the federal level to say, yeah, we're going to shut down the post office, everyone's going to go plant violets. <laughs> but um, the tribes have been really, really good about that and putting their resources where their mouths are and really making those resources available for those types of projects. Mm -hmm. We had a workshop here a few weeks ago about sustainability, building resilience through um, increased sustainability. And the head of the Muskogee Nation Environmental Department was here, as well as some of their other environmental staff. And they were talking about how they monitor water quality. And so when water, the watersheds are coming into the boundaries of Muskogee Creek Nation Reservation, um, they test it as it enters the reservation in the middle and then as it leaves. Their goal is they want that water to be cleaner when it leaves than when it arrived. Mm -hmm. And so they are actively going and trying to remediate and fix those watersheds. I think that that's just pretty amazing. And that's a story that's not getting told very much mm -hmm. um, about all of those efforts and uh, and that doesn't come for free. You know, we're using our tribal resources, but again, this is a you know a cultural value. Um, a lot of Oklahomans share those cultural values. Tribes are kind of a little different, and that they've got huge land bases. A lot of them do, and so and they've got governments to be able to put some of those values into action. So um, I just think that that can be a model that a lot of us can learn from. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and a lot of times it's just facilitating communication between yes. the the people. You have the resources. Sources, you have the the people to do it. Just bringing people together. Yes, it is. And you know, and so we we think about that is um, one of our big roles here at the farm is, um, yeah, we are a farm and we are home for a nonprofit. But most of all, I think we want to be a place where people can come to learn mm -hmm. and to share that information. And so here we've we've got this huge native plant seed bank. We've got all these native seed production beds. We've got all this landscaping of natives. And most importantly, we've got a beautiful native prairie remnant. These are places where people can come and learn and see firsthand what it looks like in terms of healthy, robust biodiversity when you manage for those things. We have people from town who come out here, and even some rural areas sometimes, who are shocked when they come out here and they see all these species of native butterflies, native bees, the birds, I mean, the native birds we have here, and they want to know why, why is this here? And then you, you know, start that conversation. People don't know what they don't no. Mm -hmm. and, um, it, but here, it's not a, a boring lecture. They can see it with their own eyes. So, uh, you know, it's it just to have a resource like this so close to town, so accessible to so many people, I just think it's um, something that we're just, at least speaking for myself, just so grateful to be a part of. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and you guys are not just trying to improve the health of the ecosystem. You're also trying to improve the health of individuals. Right. And um, you have a new program that you're kind of starting. Can you tell us a little yeah, bit about yeah, that. I can. So one of the things that's um, kind of occurred to us over the years is we're spending a lot of time and effort telling people how to grow healthy food for butterflies, how to grow healthy food for pollinators. But what we noticed is um, we need to show people how to grow healthy food for themselves too. Um, and that's a part of spiritual wellness and physical wellness. Uh, and so I'm, I'm fortunate David uh, 
is, has always been passionate about gardening, vegetable gardening. Uh, when we got married 30 years ago, he grew all the food for our wedding. Oh, and wow. this was back before that was kind of a cool thing to do. It was a little, <laughs> let's be honest, it was a little eccentric back then. I loved it. Totally loved it. But um, he spent all summer. You had your doubts. I had my doubts. Also, are we going to have enough food to feed everybody? But he did it. It was beautiful. And so um, this has been, you know, in 35 years ago, he was having this huge garden, and they would take all the produce they raised to the nursing home in the little town where they were in the, uh, I was going to say elders, I guess they would be elders, uh, they weren't native, but um, would say, you know, man, I haven't had one of these t a tomato like this in years, and just, and so, you know, food can change we, lives. Always, we have the greenhouses for producing yes. native plants, and so it was a natural, I always snuck in starting my tomato plants, pepper plants, whatnot. we always had room for plants to grow in the garden like that, and so to make that transition to, if I can teach someone to grow a good native prairie, I can teach them how to grow food that they can feed themselves with. Oklahoma is a large state and it has, most of the counties are quite literally food deserts where there is no fresh fruit or vegetables available, at least not on a traditional retail sale level. And if we can bring that to people, or bring them the knowledge, help them with that uh, through the tribal resources, it's, it's something that we really want to do. And it's been very successful. I mean, the, the times we've reached out and actually worked with people and some of the different tribes who have picked up on this are really making huge investments in it. The Osage Nation has spent millions of dollars trying to make sure that they have food security for the people who live within the confines of their reservation. And uh, I think that's a model that can be replicated throughout the state. Right, and you know we've got the we've got the technical resources of training people, and so we're just really excited to be able to do that. And we launched this back in I guess 2018 at Fit Food Initiative for Tribes, uh, but we just we've done it we've done it in a small scale. This year we finally um, fortunately we're able to get some funding that we're going to be able to expand it, create 16 new beautiful handicapped accessible raised beds, a whole new greenhouse, um, start doing weekly classes, and uh, and hopefully we're also even putting in a teaching kitchen to be able to show people. We keep on running into, we give people this produce and they're like, what do I do with this? So we gotta, we gotta show them, it's a good question, what do you do? And so we want people to know that eating healthy can, um, it doesn't have to be a chore, it can be super delicious. Uh, so we're gonna do that, particularly with the focus on youth, but people of all ages. So we're really, really excited to have that take hold now too. And, mm -hmm. and it's more environmentally sustainable to grow your own food anyway, so you're also helping the environment by helping yourself. You are you are, you are, and so it just fits together so beautifully. And um, and yeah, you're exactly right because you're going to use. Uh, you can do it more efficiently in terms of water. You can use fewer chemicals. You're not trucking them in from long distances or flying them. And you know, in food security, it's important. I think after the experiences the last two years when there were shortages at grocery stores, um, I think a lot of people, even urban people, that kind of took it for granted have realized, hey, maybe I do need to be a little more self-sufficient here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it tends to be more helpful anyway because you're getting it immediately immediately when it's yes. picked and excellent yeah. point mm -hmm. excellent point um so yeah it's just it's just healthier and it is it's not difficult it mm -hmm. is not difficult and one of the things we try to tell people is that what they're doing what we're trying to do it's not impossible it's it's quite the opposite it, it needs to be done it can be done it should be done and that is our job is to facilitate the information to make that happen mm -hmm. um you're talking about the the economics of it it's much cheaper to raise your own food there is, there's a, an economic component there too. Uh, and it's just far, far better. It tastes better, it's healthier. Mm -hmm. Those are all good things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. 
Um, so now people don't, you, you don't want people to just drive up and, and show up and say, give me a tour of your butt, let me see the butterflies. But what are some things that um, other Oklahomans can do to help you guys in your mission in the in the meantime until you're open more to the yes, public? Yes, and we will get there. We're just mm -hmm. right now we're so short-staffed yeah. um, and we're real working, um, working farm. So there are a lot of things people can do. Um, the easiest thing, uh, people can always donate if they want to. Uh, so you can do that on our website. We are a 501c3 uh, nonprofit, so it's it's IRS, you know, fully tax deductible. And you can earmark it for different things. So maybe you support um, native plant restoration, you know, you with your gift, and any little bit helps, $5 helps, um, you know, to restore habitat for monarchs or for native bees or to help kids learn about food. So that's, that's one, an easy way. But um, some of the other things that we look at uh, are volunteers, obviously. Everybody always needs volunteers. Getting the word out of what we're trying to do. And one of the things which sounds a little strange, but um, is we're always looking for more places to collect native seeds to enhance our seed bank. As we do this restoration work, we want to bring back as many species as possible. Biodiversity is really important in these plots. Uh, people have this kind of sometimes thing, you think about wildflowers, like two or three pretty species, and those are great, and pollinators need those, but we really want to bring back those complex, beautiful ecosystems that support a lot of more fragile insects and, and life forms. Um, so we're always looking for more places to collect. So if you've got a old pasture or you know somebody that does and you wouldn't mind some of our staff and they are real trained staff and they're trained biologists to come out and collect a few of your seeds it's very sustainable we always do less than 20 percent we want to don't want to do any harm um, but that would be something really great that and people that, could do that's something that's really been wonderful is do you can take the most grizzled cattle man <laughs> tell him what you would like to do and they will pause and they will say well yeah we have this place that we've not raised or want to please come mm -hmm. And they, they, we have, I don't think to this day, we have ever been turned down by anyone. No, and so, and so what's so funny about that is you're right. So I know you're going to understand this when I say it next is they always say like, because man, I don't see those butterflies like I used to when I was a kid. Or the quail. Or the quail. Mm -hmm. Or the X, Y, and Z. So they say, yeah, come collect those seeds because I don't see the quail, the butterflies like I used to. And I want to help. That's a value to them. And yeah. It's important to them. And they, you're right. They see the change in their lifetime. And, you know, so I think sometimes um, for urban folks, there's a tendency to um, not realize that uh, rural rural people, they're out there living in those landscapes every day, and sometimes they're more aware of how quickly things are changing, and uh, they may spend less time talking about it, but they're out there every day, you know, seeing those changes. And so um, we see that a lot of times rural folks aren't included sometimes in conservation efforts the way they should be. And so we want to make sure that they know that they're uh, very much included and valued in this conversation, too, and have so much to give and share and with all of us. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I mean, ultimately, it takes everyone. To, it does take everyone. Yeah, it's not something that any one individual can do by themselves. No, and so and I think um, that's the other message that uh, to share is, um, you know, there's it's a very big, particularly crazy world right now, but what we are facing about um, the loss of biodiversity, the loss of pollinators, the loss of these beautiful ecosystems. Um, it is catastrophic if we really lose it. And it, the scope of the challenge is so big. 
Uh, you can't just assume the government's going to do it, not state, not federal, not tribal. You can't assume that just nonprofits are going to do it or the Uchi Butterfly Farm's going to do it. No, we have all really got to get off the couch and get in there and do our part. Otherwise, we're going to be in such dire trouble, there will be no turning around. So, Lighting the fire is a little easier, too, because it is such a cultural value. Mm -hmm. In Oklahoma, caring for the land has been a cultural value since long before the Dust Bowl, actually. But after the Dust Bowl, there was this stewardship to the land. And some of it may have been a little misguided with some of the things and some of the practices that were done. But I stand by that. Taking care of the land, taking care of the ecosystems here is a cultural value, especially for rural people in Oklahoma. They just need to be pointed in the right direction so that it can be sustainable. And um, that's why I think we've been very successful in getting more and more people on board with this. I think so, too. And, you know, we're such a beautiful state. We've got, what, 12 distinct ecosystems, I think, here. Um, you know, we are a state of such magnificent beauty, and I think Oklahomans are really passionate and proud of that. So uh, to be able for everybody to step up and their little do do their part, you know, um, I, I think that Oklahomans will do it. And, you know, we just want to help them facilitate that and be useful if we can. Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, thank you guys so much for talking with me, Jane and David. It's been so great. And um, if you have not, again, if you haven't read the story about YouTube Butterfly Farm in the March-April issue, you absolutely should because it is amazing and has beautiful pictures. So thank you, okay. guys. Thank you. And now it is time to once again plumb the depths of TravelOK.com's calendars for our weekly pod events. And first up this week is Carly. Ooh. <clears throat> sorry. Sorry, I forgot. Okay. <laughs> um, have you ever seen those adorable photos or videos of really fluffy dogs after they get shaved at the groomers? I love them, but apparently you can't go to a random groomers and ask to see the pups get naked unless you love being escorted off the property by the police. However, if you want some less weird but equally satisfying defluffing action, you can visit Shepherd's Cross in Claremore during Woolly Weekend. From April 28th to the 30th, this working sheep farm invites people from all over to watch the Ovine residents get their annual haircuts. Then see what it takes to turn wool into beautiful fabric, which you can buy in the form of a shawl during the silent auction. There will also be fabric classes, tours of the farm, and homemade products on sale from local vendors. The event is free, but donations are appreciated. Check out shepherdscross.com for more info. Good times. All right. That sounds like fun. Yeah. Ben, what's your event this week? Here's something I love. Concerts. There's nothing like live music. Show and concert announcements are like a little piece of Christmas every time I see them. In fact, I could easily find myself at a show once or even twice a week if it weren't for a thing that I did not love so much, spending lots of money. <laughs> Look, I can't be spending 40 to to $100 every week on concerts. This crippling avocado toast addiction isn't going to support itself. <laughs> and I know by now some of you are rushing to your laptops. You're trying to set up a GoFundMe to fix this problem. That's so sweet of you. But such charity will not be necessary. And that's because Norman Music Fest is finally back, baby. Free as ever. From the glorious stretch of April 28th to the 30th, I can catch literally as much live music as I can stand to witness. And this bears repeating, all for free. Norman Music Fest caught some of the worst COVID luck. And I actually have not been able to have a festival since 2019. But this year, they make their triumphant return with headlining indie acts like The Drums, Dive, and Wet, plus local favorites like JB, 
Husbands, Jason Scott in the High Heat, and the currently LA-based Mothica. And did I mention it's all for free? If you have any questions or are seeking more information, well, maybe you can find me in the crowd somewhere. <laughs> I'll be the bearded guy with avocado toast in hand. Or if you'd like to see what other artists are performing and set up your itinerary for the weekend, uh, you can visit normanmusicfestival.com. Yeah, either works for me. I really hope I see you literally walking around down there with avocado toast in your hand. And a little bit of avocado in your beard. It's the only Just way. A little... <laughs> <laughs> Nate, what's your event this week? Uh, well, I encountered an unexpected hardship while writing this event. And that hardship is that the song Happy Birthday is copyrighted. So if I sang Happy Birthday on our podcast episode right now, we'd owe Warner Chapel Music a royalty. So to the city of Okima on this auspicious occasion, I offer an apology. I'm not going to sing you Happy Birthday. I am going to engage in a little cultural appropriation, which I hope is okay. I'm going to go to a proud, longstanding American culture, and I'm going to take one of their birthday songs, and I hope, I hope no one is offended by this. From the proud tradition of the Olive Garden waitstaff culture, I offer the following. Okima. This is your birthday song. It isn't very long. Hey! Now that doesn't seem like quite enough. So if you're still feeling the Okima love and want to wish this awesome East Central Oklahoma town a buon Natal, may I suggest heading to Okima Pioneer Days, April 27th through 30th. This community-wide celebration spotlights all things Okeman. I think it's Okeman. It is now. Uh, with, there's so much going on, it's so fun, a three-day carnival, a pet stroll, which I love, a pet, not a pet race, a pet stroll, just walk your dog, and, but it's like a competition, um, an antique car cruise, live music, excellent food, a plant sale, a parade, a rooster crow contest, a hog calling contest, that's just for adults. For kids, there are turtle races, hula hoop contests, treasure hunts, and sack races. So party up. Party it up in Woody Guthrie's hometown because you know what a fan Woody Guthrie was of the hula hoop. For more info, call 918-623-9441 or visit okimaok.org. All right, Megan, do you have an event for us this week? Well, what if she said no? I think so. I think so. <laughs> um, well, in Wilson Rawls' famed novel, Where the Red Fern Grows, two coon hounds, Old Dan and Little Anne, kill a mountain lion who attacks their master. Shortly after, Dan dies from his injuries. After he passes, little Anne quickly dies from her own overwhelming grief. A red fern sprouts up between their graves, giving this book its name. In Tahlequah, where some of the book is based, locals put a more cheerful spin on the story with the annual Red Fern Festival on April 29th and 30th, which generally attracts more than 15,000 visitors. Females ranging from newborn to teenage will compete for glory in the Miss Fern pageant. There will be a coon hunt and field trials, a rubber duck race at Branch Creek, and of course, plenty of shopping and all the food you can stick in your face. <laughs> for more information, visit TahlequahMainStreet.com. Just All stick it the right food in your face. you can stick in your face. <laughs> I mean, is there a better sales line than that? <laughs> uh, oh I, I mean, that's where I, I... That book was a bummer. 
Yeah. I mean, it was great, but it was it, a bummer. I I didn't know what it was about until I started writing oh, this event, and I had to sad. read the summary, and I was yeah. like, yeah, that's pretty I've never sad. read it, because I know dogs die, and I can't I can't. Yeah. I can't believe it. you weren't yeah. made to read it in elementary school. No, we never wow, did have to. Wow, that's amazing. I feel like we all had to. <laughs> Greg, what do you have? Anything May- sad? <laughs> Very. Good. May You Live in Interesting Times is a curse, and it's one I think a lot of us have been living through. But there's perhaps one group even more cursed than this lot. Learn their harrowing story, burn their sacrifices into your mind during Puffs, a one-act for young wizards, presented by Lyric Theater's Thelma Gaylord Academy in Oklahoma City. Gryffindors are meant to be heroic. Ravenclaws, clever. Slytherins were uh, evil, right? I, I don't... Why, why are they teaching evil? Anyway, Hufflepuffs are helpful, which is a nice way of saying mostly useless, especially in a fight against a wizard so evil you're not supposed to say his name. Enjoy Harry Potter's tumultuous school years again through the eyes of people who happen to be there but didn't really do much about it. <laughs> Tickets are $10 at thelmagaylordacademy.com. Oh, the Hufflepuffs. Oh. Yeah. Are Slytherins evil? Carly? I, I don't know. Ask Carly. Yeah. <laughs> she knows. She is one. Well, the reemergence of Voldemort from the back of my head means that the Oklahoma <laughs> Today podcast is coming to a close. So join us again next week, or if you just can't get enough, head to oklahomatoday.com and pick up our latest issue on newsstands right now. Send feedback to OKTPod at travelok.com. We'll talk to you again next week. The Oklahoma Today podcast is a production of Oklahoma Today magazine and the Oklahoma Tourism and Recreation Department. Your hosts are Oklahoma Today editors Nathan Gunner, Greg Elwell, Carly Ibarra, Megan Rossman, and Ben Lucian. Theme song editing and production help by Oklahoma Today's production manager, Bridget Sloan. For more information, visit oklahomatoday.com. Goodbye. You're a wizard, Harry. <laughs> so I thought the play is actually called Puffs. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's not funny. what I thought it was going to be about, if I'm honest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Kleenex? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) The story of Kleenex.